your host, Mimi Jacks, and welcome back to another episode of Improper Mimi Podcast, where we talk about things that empower women at home, work, and play. I want you to know that this special episode is just part one of a two-part series where Improper Mimi partnered up with the founder and owner of Watch Her Win New York, Miss Obioma Richardson. And also Rashida Frazier of Empowering Greatness for a live podcast recording. That's right. Rashida and I joined our sister friend Obioma and Watch Her Win to bring a little piece of New York to Chicago for her first live event of the year, a webinar on entrepreneurship, the pros, cons, and everything in between. We were able to host a wonderful panel of six entrepreneurs in the Chicago area of Bronzeville at the Incubator. And the Incubator is a space that brings together like-minded, ambitious entrepreneurs in the community, specifically designed for the community to foster and encourage sustainable community development. So wherever you are listening to this podcast, be sure to share it with others and let them know to look out for part two of Watch Her Wins webinar and live podcast recording of entrepreneurship, pros, cons, and everything in between. There are definitely gems dropped here that you need to learn, whether you are thinking about starting your own company or if you are already in the mix of it all. So let me kick it over to Obioma to get the show started. Hi everyone, welcome to today's event. Uh, this is a Watcher Wins first live event in Chicago, uh, and we are going to be talking about entrepreneurship, pros, cons, and everything in between. Today we have six panelists who are dynamic business owners and entrepreneurs in Chicago, and we are going to get started. So, today our panelists will give relatable examples that will help those listening get a deeper understanding of what it is to be an entrepreneur. So we are gonna start with Forum. She's going to introduce herself and go ahead. All right, thank you for having me. My name is Forum. Entrepreneurship uh, happened to me versus me chasing it. I can share more about that in a little bit. I am the Chief Coaching Officer and Co-Founder of Amelvita. We are a coaching firm that serves people to love what they do, whether that's through career, life, leadership, or health and wellness. It's that here. Hi, I'm Norman Scales, and I am the founder of Parker Durbin, a luxury menswear line, outerwear and accessories primarily, and also the co-founder of Confidence Apparel. Hello, I'm Robin Harris also the co-founder of Confidence Apparel um, Model TEA and Confidence Foundation. Um, that is a lot, but it all makes sense. Overall, I use confidence to um, empower women and men and to make them walk purposely in their destiny. We've been in business for about seven years now, and it's been great. I can't wait to share more with you guys. Hi, everyone. My name is Sandy Robinson. I am um, one of three co-founders of an organization, local organization in Chicago, called Shy Gives Back. We specialize in social impact. Um, we specialize in helping underserved areas um, in, in the community um, throughout the Chicago area. We've been in operation for four years now. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Aston Hayes. Uh, I am the CEO and founder, co-founder of Tip Off Games LLC, which is a publishing company for mobile and digital cultural games. Uh, hi, my name is Marcus Wilson, uh, personal trainer, and life coach, uh, founder of Urban Run. Thank you, thank you. So we're, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to start to get into these questions so we can share knowledge about anyone who happens to be an entrepreneur at this point in their lives or who is looking to take that step. What made you decide your entrepreneurship path? And whoever feels comfortable, I need you to just go ahead and jump. It's like hitting that red, that red button. <laughs> I'll start. Um, so my entrepreneurial path is um, that in the social, um, in the nonprofit world. And it is nonprofit and, and helping others and helping people in underserved communities has always been a passion of mine. And it honestly, it all came together organically. Um, it started with a toy drop. And um, one, of, one of my clients, because I do have a full-time job, one of my clients asked if, um, if, if where I worked, if we were interested in hosting a toy drive. And you know, you connect your people, yourself with like-minded people. And I said, well, not only would we be interested, but I want to get my friends and family and other people involved in this toy drive because who doesn't like giving toys to kids? So what started off as something very small, um, you know, with a, with a very small goal in comparison to where we ended, um, became this, this, this grand event. Um, I mean, fast forward four years later, we're one of the largest toy drives in the city of Chicago, um, where we started with a goal of 500 toys. Um, and so it started out as, you know, just something that you love. And I think that that's where a lot of um, entrepreneurs start, is you start doing something that you love. And, you know, it, it kind of becomes, it's your job anyway, kind of, if you really have a passion for it. And it makes it a lot easier to, to continue on with that journey and to spread it, um, to spread the word. And then you also have, you know, friends and family that support you. So um, again, it's a little bit easier to kind of, to just continue on that path when you already have a passion for something. Um, so for me, it started with already having a passion for helping, um, helping my community and helping those that may not have a voice um, that are underserved, such as people suffering from homelessness, um, teachers, and other areas. Um, so for us, it was, and for myself personally, it was just, it was very easy to, to maneuver into. I'm gonna come back to you uh, with some direct questions about nonprofit. Okay. Who wants to hit that red button next? I'm looking at this side. So you so are, you are. <laughs> I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, what, what had me decide my entrepreneur path was, I started out as a model. And I fell out of love with that. And I was like, I still want to be involved in the fashion industry, but what can I do that I still love? So it started with a knee. I'm like, okay, well, once I stepped off of the runway, the clothes didn't fit. I couldn't buy the clothes anywhere. So I had to reach out to my birth and blessed community, which is what I call them, call girls. Okay. And I had to ask, hey, is, am I the only one struggling with this issue? Do you have a hard time finding nice clothes so that you could, you know, go out and be your best self? The answer was yes. So then I started Model Atelier, which is a women's wear brand exclusively for the vertical class. And we are the premier fashion partner from WNBA. Nice. 
And from there, it really started to, I guess, like validate why I was really doing what I was doing as a model. Because I had the aesthetic, I had the, I had the idea of what to bring to fashion for the tall uh, female consumer. So that kind of is how it started. Okay. So vertically blessed, all of you out there. <laughs> Um, Robin, uh, you know, you gotta shout out my company. I know a lot of tall people, and, and I, I'm tall in my mind. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, take it for I'm happy to go. Um, I talked about how entrepreneurship came onto me. It's something that I had never thought about doing myself. I just realized I was a former consultant. I was doing my master's and they gave me a coach and I fell in love with it. So, you know, I thought, this is incredible. I just find a, want to find a way to coach. And I met my business partner, Nicole, at that time, who also got coached through her company because she got a promotion and thought, wow, coaching is not some woo-woo thing. It's actually very helpful. And I want to build a company that changes this whole industry. Because with coaching, what we learned is it's so archaic, um, people do whatever they want, there's no results, there's no process. So Nicole wanted to start a business, I just wanted to coach, and we started five years ago, and it turned into this thing. Um, and I will say one thing about entrepreneurship, and Stacey, you hit on this, it's not, or Sandy, excuse me, you hit on this, it's not about, to me, it's not about building something from scratch. You're an entrepreneur even if you have a nine-to-five corporate job. You are the CEO of your career, whatever that career is. I think that's a different mindset. So really quickly, I met from, uh, because I was president of NAMBA, uh, and we virtually met, and she actually changed my life. I will not get emotional, but, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a woman, you know, I'm, an, I'm a woman in tech, and it was, it's very tough, even now, and when we actually met in person, it was like kindred spirits, like I've known her all my life, and uh, here she is today, a panelist, um, making sure that she supports anything and everything that I do. So that's big. So I love you for that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to jump to my right. Take it, Marcus. Yeah, uh, I've never not felt like an entrepreneur. Uh, I was blessed to have a father who uh, had a ton of businesses. Um, but I worked for the gym for about five and a half years, and what I noticed uh, is that I was given 14 to 16 hours of my time, like every day, you know, and um, had a son in 2009. And in order for me to be a present parent, I knew I couldn't work 14 to 16 hour days anymore. And so um, I took a leap of faith, even though I was doing phenomenally well at my company, um, and just, I banked on myself. And so uh, I took the path of uh, entrepreneurship to, to be a present uh, parent. I like that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, being a, a parent is, is tough. So I think, you know, we, we know how that uh, the work schedule is not empathetic as they say <laughs> they are. For sure. So <laughs> that, that's a good one. And then we're going to go to Norman. I was going to jump in anyway. I was going to jump in anyway. Because you mentioned how you, you had a father who was an entrepreneur and that kind of spurred along your entrepreneurial route. My father worked two jobs for over 20 years, and his entire existence was to make sure that his work ethic, work ethic was seen by the companies that he worked for. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it all, when he did retire, 
he retired putting everything and exhausting himself into something for someone else. Mm -hmm. And once I saw that, and knowing that you are, no offense to anyone who has a nine to five, you are in a sense trapped in your occupation for X amount of years based upon retirement protocols and whatnot. So you have to fulfill a certain amount of time, otherwise you are penalized. If you are an entrepreneur, you are not penalized for giving yourself space. You are not penalized for uh, giving yourself some time to breathe or giving yourself some off time in between all of the, the chaos. And I saw my father do that, and he pretty much retired from three different jobs. And I knew that I did not want to do that for myself. And I knew that I did not want to pass that on throughout my bloodline. Mm. So that, that's powerful, because I think growing up, you know, I think we can all probably attest to this, and our parents and grandparents have probably all told us, get a job, be happy, and stay there and retire. And it, it doesn't give us anything to really have a reward in. Um, so that's powerful right there, and thank you for that. But thank you. Uh, so I kind of fell into, well, no, I didn't fall into it. I, I came from a family of, I guess you could say, corporatepreneurs. Uh, we definitely use our nine to five to influence what we're doing. Uh, so what I'm doing now came from a hobby. I, Graduated in 2006 from the University of Miami, made a deck of cards that was basically a black or cultural version of taboo, and would take it around to parties, and people liked it and kept asking me if I was going to make it into a game. And I was like, no, nah, I was young. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have a mentor or anybody that could teach me, you know, how to basically what the process was for doing that. So I sat on it. It was probably not until 2016. I ran into my now business partner who had made three apps. And then I was like, you know what, I should probably make this game into an app versus a card game because that's kind of the way of the future. And she loved the idea. I came with this little baggie of cards and gave it to her. And she was like, I love this idea. Like, I want it. I don't want to just, you know, consult you on how to do this. I'm going to be your partner. I believe in it. And in 2017, the app, our first app came out. And so that's like understanding your creativity and your gifts and having that network and those sponsors and those mentors to make sure there's somebody to give you that push to say, no, you can do more than just creating and not actually executing on that to have a return on your creativity and investment. So. This, so this, all, everything that everyone has said is definitely leading into the next question where um, I'm asking what were the most important factors to consider your, the decision, right? So, so far I've heard um, your passion, um, a need for something, just family struggles and experiences. So if anyone wants to elaborate a little more on that. Go ahead, Marcus. I see. Yeah, um, for, for me, it was like uh, just really understanding like the why behind, understanding like the why behind my what, um, and also thinking to myself like, uh, what am I going to be willing to like? How hard am I going to be willing to work to manifest my dreams? Um, and like that, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, or important thing I had to factor in. 
uh, when I was working at the gym, um, you know, it was really easy to get, get comfortable because I had an unlimited marketing budget. You know, I had a, t a sales team that was like pumping out just as much as I was on a consistent basis. So I always had people to work with um, whether I wanted to or not. You know, and then working on my own and not having a gym right away, uh, it made it a lot more, uh, it made my work a lot more intense and in, uh, like what I needed to do to like really, really like uh, attract, more, uh, attract more clients. And so once I got the why behind my what and realized like I wanted to actually change lives, I knew I could find clients anywhere and it didn't need to be inside of a gym. You know, it was like wherever I am, my clients are also. Um. For me personally, I so we, I was born and raised in India, um, moved here when I was nine, so we came from a very uh, comfortable life to nothing at all. My parents, we had no money, we moved in with other families, my parents were working crazy hours, and um, it took us a long time to quote unquote get settled in a way. So stability is actually one of the things that I strove for. Everything I did was so that we didn't go back to not having a very uncomfortable life. So entrepreneurship means you have no stability, you don't have security, and that was one thing I had to mentally prepare for. This leads me into who was that one person who boosted me up, and it was my dad. Um, I was talking to him, I was, you know, consulting job, it pays well, you have stability, and I was like, you know, I think I wanna do this business, but I don't know what that's going to look like. And my dad said, how much have you paid for college and your master's? And I gave him my numbers. So think of this as your education into your journey. And he's like, so if you can invest this in yourself, and you have to believe in yourself, then this is worth doing. So that was the thing that pushed me forward and helped me mentally prepare that it's going to be unstable, but this is an investment in myself. Thank you for that, because all transparency, like two weeks ago, I was like, well, why am I doing this? I'm not, I'm, I don't care about this anymore, but it, it's an investment, not only for, for me, but it's what, it's what I'm putting out. I, I know in my gut, and the, the, the Bronx is coming out, y'all. <laughs> like, I know in my gut that I'm doing something great with Watch Her Win. And so, therefore, you're right. You have to keep pushing through because it's just how it is as an entrepreneur that's just how it is i'm gonna go to this side and let somebody jump in i'll jump in so um let's see so i guess for for our nonprofit, um we just had to consider that you know when we said that we were doing something for a particular segment um that we had the backing to follow through um and like I said, we came together organically starting with a toy drive and honestly that, that rush and that high from giving back to, um, to a, a women's shelter on the west side, um, we just felt so good and we, we were wondering, you know, what is it that we can do next? And honestly, we have three different, um, are three different um, co-founders that are in totally different markets and um, one is um, on the political side and literally within like seconds, okay, we have an EIN and okay. So then we just kind of like fell into becoming an organization. Um, so everything along our paths honestly have happened organically and, and you know, that's why it's important to, to find your why and to know really why you're doing it. Um, because once you do it, it things just kind of flow. 
Um, so for us, it was just making sure that we, you know, if we said that we were going to support, um, you know, kids, we, 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 we were able to raise the funds. Um, if we said that we were going to support teachers, that we were able to, to have the backing to do um, what we said that we were going to do. So just making sure that we were consistent in what we were saying and making sure that we were able to follow through um, on our giving. For me, um, I was pregnant when I started my company. Okay. And as I was birthing Kylie, I was also giving birth to a company. And I mentioned her because I, I really was thinking, what am I going to be for my daughter? Like, I was right. a model. You right. Know, everybody knew me as a model right. before I was pregnant. Right. What am I going to be, or how am I going to be a real life model to my hmm. daughter? So. For me, she was the deciding factor. I wanted her to know about entrepreneurship. I didn't want her to just know about nine to five. I didn't want her to know even about a lot of the struggles that I've been through. So for me, it was like breaking uh, something that happened way before me and, and giving birth to something new so that I can pass that down to my daughter. Do you hear that, daughter? <laughs> I would say once I really started doing research, that's what pushed me to keep going because uh, it's not a lot of blacks in tech, as we know. No, there's not. Uh, it's not a lot of black women in tech. And then if you think about it, it's really no cultural or black games at all. Uh, I mean, we can, we can talk about spades and dominoes, but you know, that's, it wasn't specifically made for us. So there's nothing really specific for us. So. The more I learned, I was like, it's a need for everything I'm doing. And that's what pushed me to keep going and, and start it, so. And I, I mean, I, it's so funny, because I didn't start doing research about our people in tech until later on. Because when I, when I started in the telecom and IT industry, I was young. I didn't go to school for it. I just jumped into it because it was an opportunity. I'm a, I'm, I was a single mom. I was like, I, I gotta make some money. Um, and as I grew, I'm like, oh, that, that, I, don't, I don't see nobody here that look like me. And, and you know, it's a rough road. But now, you know, we can build because we are out here. We are out here. I'm also a research junkie too. <laughs> I love research. But one of the things that I, I can say was valuable for me in, in recognizing, was recognizing that the majority of people don't know how far along you are in your process. And I say that because sometimes we can be hard on ourselves. Oh, yes. And we can think, hey, I've been doing this for X amount of years. Yes. And to your point, like you said, you just mentioned this a week or so ago, and we would not have known. You know, so it's like we, we have to realize that we're on our own timelines. And as long as you stay with it and stay the course, that is the most important thing because your confidence, getting back to uh, part of what our, our mission is, your confidence is what everyone else sees. Right. So as long as you display that confidence in what you do, people will pick up on that vibe and they'll come along on your journey with you. I, I I'm speechless because <laughs> uh, we had, you know, the confidence along with like your tribe pumping you up and 
putting that battery in your back is is serious. Is is really serious. Um, I'm gonna jump around, uh, and we're gonna talk about branding, right? Our character, our brand. How do you brand? Yeah. So like for me, it's word of mouth. You know what I mean? It's like uh, wow. my work speaks for itself. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm consistent. Like one of the things I always want to do and want to be is be like the most consistent force in my client's life. Um, and I always, uh, I, you know, I underpromise and I overdeliver. You know, you, you, you can't pay for my services. I'm a firm believer in that. And uh, since I know I can't be compensated, I'm never taken advantage of. I'm here to help. I'm here to love. I'm here to support. Um, I'm here to give. And the more I do those things, money always shows up. You know, I am money. Like, whatever you say you are, whatever you focus on, that's what you become. Um, and so for me, like, I brand off uh, having a vision, having a goal. Uh, as long as I have a goal, I have something to work towards, something to work, work for. Most people don't succeed because they don't have a goal. <laughs> so you, where are you going? You know, you bounce around. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I vibe off uh, of love. Okay. So I'm going to come, uh, I, I'm, this question is, how does, how does your brand set itself apart in an oversaturated market? So I'm come back to you on that, right? Because I have a question, a follow-up question. So I, I, we have a lot of markets. We have a lot of coaching and consulting businesses, fashion, nonprofit organizations, and tech companies. Who wants to jump in and just talk about like how does your brand set itself apart? Sandy Astis, Margaret, anybody want to jump in on that? Sure. <laughs> so, yes, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, and what sets us apart from, um, from the others is that, for one, it's our team. Um, you can't get anywhere in life, <laughs> uh, especially being an entrepreneur, without having a, a solid team. Um, of course, there are many people that are just, you know, they, they say, I want to do this by myself, or if you started by yourself, but the reality is that you will work yourself to the bone if you are doing everything by yourself. So having trust um, in, a, in a team of people um, and really you know, just, just vibing with people that, um, again, are like-minded. Um, so for us, we just have an incredible and amazing team that, um, that are very creative, very innovative. Um, you know, our goal, our goal whenever we're giving back is to, you know, find the group of people that no one else is, is, is supporting, um, you know, and to, and to do things that are, that no one else is doing. So for us, you know, we have our volunteers. We love our volunteers. Um, nonprofits, volunteers are what makes us go. So, you know, our volunteers love us because we incorporate them into all of our giving as well. So our volunteers will come and they'll leave with swag bags. They'll leave with, you know, Bulls tickets. They'll leave with, you know, a lot of other things that they didn't even think. They thought that they were just coming to help and, and to give back, which they were. But, you know, to, to, to let our volunteers know that we appreciate them um, and, you know, we'll do other things for our volunteers, you know, that goes a long way. So, you know, we want to make sure that it's, it's all about a vibe. Everything is about a vibe. You know, it's about having the live entertainment. It's about having those fun, you know, photo booths or 360 booths. It's not always about getting money. You know, it takes a lot for someone to give their own personal money away, um, but we open it up for everyone. So all of our events is very hands-on. Um, we appreciate your dollars, but we want you to be able to come and um, not only just donate, but to come and, and go to the door of that family that we're going to, you know, that home to be able to, to go to a family's house and, you know, you walk in and they don't, they just have a Christmas tree with absolutely no Christmas gift. Um, but for you to come with us and, hey, when you leave the house, 
they have, you leave the house with a lot of Christmas gifts underneath. So um, we're a very hands-on organization. We always invite people to come in. Um, and we've seen just, the, um, just how um, receiving people have been um, from us just being so hands-on. So it's just being mindful and not just giving, not just asking for money, but making sure that you're incorporating people uh, where they can actually have that hands-on experience because that's what makes the difference. I would say just from trial and error, the one thing that I've noticed that has been setting us apart, especially in, fa in the fashion industry, like it's a different conversation for nonprofit as you mentioned, but in the fashion industry because a lot of the, the fabrics and a lot of the styles are gonna be the same, they're gonna be similar. I realize that the thing that sets our company apart is us. Okay. It's, it's the story. And even in doing my research, getting back to what Ashton said, um, and reading books on marketing and entrepreneurship, specifically marketing, the story is what sells more than anything. A lot of people have quality products. Uh, people didn't buy into uh, Tebow. I remember Tebow. Tebow was a product, and it was an amazing product. It actually was better than on-demand's product, but they did not know how to tell a story. So as long as you can tell your story appropriately and develop a story about your brand, whether that's, to your point, whether that's your personal brand as a person, or your brand as your business, mm -hmm. if you can develop that story and deliver it effectively, and you practice that over and over and over again, whether it's explaining your product to your child, or explaining your product to a buddy, or, or, or explaining your product in, a, in an environment where you actually have to sell, eventually people are gonna respect your passion and your story and the development that happens in order for you to get to where you are. That that's that's key. So it's, it's like it's your, your elevator pitch in the beginning, and then when you get to sit down with somebody, you have to really you gotta tell it and not be embarrassed of it or ashamed of it. It's yours and own it. I'm learning a lot. I'm I'm learning a lot from everybody here. So thank you. Uh, so I'm going to piggyback off of what Norm said about stories. So the story is important. As somebody that pitches, I pitch to VCs all the time. So the story is important, but why do you need the product or why do, you, why do people need to use you? So um, our biggest thing is time, social, and technology. That's usually what I hit on. So everybody wants everything instantaneously now. We live in that society where... Um, a lot of people ask me, why don't you just keep the cards? Why don't you make the cards? People don't want to have to go online and buy my cards and wait if, if they want to play a game night right now. So we push that. That's the first thing that I always push is that, you know, you might be with a group of friends or some people that you don't know. And if you know, hey, I heard about this game, then you go and you can download it for 99 cents on the App Store or Google Store. <laughs> Cheap plug. But um, and you can have a game night instantaneously. So that's one time. Uh, socially, we just know, like I mentioned before, not a lot of black games. So of course, if I go to HBCU or I happen to be at a homecoming event, or I'm just at home with my family, 
I might not want to play Uno or Spades. I might want something different. And because we we don't only do we do basically the whole black the black diaspora. So we have uh, a Nigeria pack. We'll be coming out with some Caribbean packs. So we want to be able to go across the entire black diaspora, not just black Americans. So culture and social. And people have gotten away from you know being social with each other because of technology. So we figured using technology and the social component, making it instantaneous is what sets us apart from the rest of our competitors. I think there's a common trend here and a theme. So from your, your own personal output to partnerships to the story, what problem am I solving? Um, you talked about confidence, the story you tell yourself in your head and how that's what you feed off of. I think the thing about branding is it's not a one-time thing. You're constantly iterating your brand because branding is first about you. You first have to look internally to figure out what do I want to be known for? What is the problem that I want to solve? What do I stand for? And those questions are always changing, especially with life events. My brand from five years ago to now, now I'm a mom. Now it's, oh, I'm a mom and an entrepreneur. Whereas before, I'm an entrepreneur. Right. So your brand is always changing. So there's that internal component. And then I love what you said, Afton, which is there's also the external component of what problem am I solving? And then how do you combine that together to then build your narrative? And that narrative, if you cannot say it in your head with confidence, you're not going to convince anyone else. You first have to convince yourself. Um, I hope everyone is taking some notes out there. Because this is, this is, these are gems. These are gems. Uh, Mark, if anyone wants to take those. Yeah, I, I love that question. Like, uh, what separates me and like my competitors? Like, first of all, I don't have any competitors. Like, uh, okay. I, I don't see people as competition. Okay. Uh, I say that humbly, and I say that uh, like you know, arrogantly as well. Um, but like, I selfishly train, I selfishly coach, I selfishly mentor uh, to remind myself of who I want to be as a human. I don't even see myself as an entrepreneur. Like, I use all these things, like uh, these, these tasks, these jobs, these uh, titles. You want to call it that. Um, as a, as a way to set up my own integrity. And then I work to become a better person every day uh, by helping other people do the same thing. Like, so, um, I don't have any competitors. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm my own entity. And, and I realize that everybody are their own entity as well. And so when you understand your uniqueness and you own that, naturally, you're gonna take off in whatever you do. And so. That makes, that makes a lot of sense, but there's not, a, there's not another Obioma Richardson out there, right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so. So I want to I want to start with Marcus, right? Because you said you 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 use you word of mouth. That's that's how you market. That's how you brand. And um, with technology being so like so in your face and the mainstream of accordingly, you know, society for advertising. Um, do you ever see yourself like? using technology or just trying to adapt to it? Only because I'm uh, doing other ventures that are bigger than myself, you know? And so because, uh, because I'm, I'm opening a gym, right? So, so as, as a trainer, I don't need a gym. I could train you anywhere I am. So I don't need, I don't need anything other than myself, right? And like, so um, my needs are shifting because my desires and my goals have shifted. 
And so since I am having a gym and I do want it to be banging because I want it to be a community space where people feel safe uh, to work out, uh, I'm going to have to show people looking and feeling safe working out, right? And so, so going forward, uh, I do have an IT and marketing team um, because I realize that's not my strong point, but I also see the need and presence to, to incorporate other people. Um, with this pandemic, right? We had COVID, so now my workouts have shifted to more online at times, right? So more virtual. So I realize that there's a need and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's uniqueness about, uh, about the social media and about uh, just the media in general. And so I'm open to using it, but in my own personal space, I don't, I don't need it. Okay, okay, so that, makes, that does make sense. So the, the question, you know, then for, for everyone is, what are the most effective ways do you, do you utilize technology to target? Uh, so I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't have a social media account until this year, personal social media account. Oh, okay. Until this year. Um, Last year during the pandemic, we realized that we couldn't go out and physically do a lot of the things that we did to make our clothing brand sell. So we decided to give Instagram a try. And wow, I mean, that, that, that technology, the technology of Instagram as much as we don't want to, I, I do not agree with the premise of Instagram. But the AI software of Instagram is far none. Right. Their ability to target through that application is beyond compare. <laughs> I mean, just, being, just being honest, and we threw a, and we threw a fairly small amount at it. You know, let's right. just see what happens. Right. And it happened. It I'm like, oh man, this, is, this Instagram thing is real. Now I'm kicking myself because we didn't start until 2020. But it is what it is, and um, now I also realize that I, starting my own brand and menswear. Now I am a part of the brand because my story is intertwined with the story of the brand. Right. So now I have to personally have social media account. Yeah. And that's tough for me. It's tough. Because I'm it not a social tough. media person. I don't, I personally don't, don't love, love social, media social media in general. general. Our, Our target, target, however, our audience, audience is on social media. Yeah. That changes. So to your point, you, if you're not good at it, don't like it, outsource it if you have the means to do it. I think your question, though, is about technology. If we don't leverage technology smartly, like COVID happened, so you had to pivot and you had to be agile. For you, Aston, your whole platform is instantaneous technology. I think there is something to be said about physical products and then scalable products. Scalability happens through tech. And if we are not constantly up to date on what else is out there, how do we continue to identify ways in which we can help support our business, our brands, getting to our consumers in different ways, Yes. we tend to be behind. Yes. So I don't think it's always social media. I think it's also about how you, what you do translates into some sort of a tech component. 
Yep. I'm going to jump in to what Warren said. So because I'm already, uh, you know, technology during the pandemic, we'll talk about the pandemic, uh, scalability, you talked about that. So we kind of had to shift. I've been using Zoom forever to do, um, you know, online conferences and things like that, conferences, but just meetings. Uh, because a lot of people that we talk to aren't in Chicago, we don't always want to travel. So I hate that I did not buy stock in Zoom or I didn't like really, you know, do anything with Zoom until we blew up and had to use Zoom. So we ended up utilizing Zoom to start doing virtual game nights and started pitching that to larger companies and universities and colleges and just getting, you know, we knew colleges were still looking for ways for their students to, um, you know, have activities. They didn't have any activities on campus, so we started pitching the schools and just getting money that way by getting in front of them and saying, hey, this is a way for you to still have your students to be interactive with each other uh, without having them physically together. So I uh, scaled that way using Zoom and um, also started to change our application. A lot of people use a house, a house party app. I don't know if anybody remembers house party. So house party had games within their app and then you could do video chat within, uh, within that house party app. So then we decided to basically take the house party app uh, platform and put it into our app. So we're in the process of putting video streaming in the app. So should we ever need it, you know, people could basically play the game. You don't have to physically be in the room with someone to play the game. You can play it with them anywhere, see their reaction, hear what they're saying. Uh, so if I want to play, play the game with my family in Jamaica, I could do that. Uh, or my friend that lives in South Africa, we could all do it together. So at some point that is where the app will go. But, you know, we were kind of like forced to scale, which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, that's how we use technology. I'll jump in. So my friend and I, we had this conversation last night, actually. She said, are you using text messaging to reach your audience? I was like, no, what am I doing that for? She said, seriously, you need to start using text message. For one, you want to gather that data. For two, you, you're a motivational company. You can send them motivational quotes. So you're not just always asking them to buy. You're also adding value by inspiring them. So something came in my head. I'm like, man, I thought I needed social media, Instagram, Facebook, all this to really reach. And I started thinking about text messaging. So. One of the things that really sparked like the enthusiasm, not just that, was mm -hmm. do you guys remember when uh, the mayor or the city of Chicago texted everybody and was like, we're on lockdown? Do you know how many people she reached or the city of Chicago reached in an in, in instant in a text message? That alone is powerful. Yes. Imagine having everybody's text or phone number and saying, hey, download this app for 99 cents immediately a million dollars made through a text message. So hmm. for me, she like really got me excited about the possibilities of using a different form of tech because we always think you need to be on the gram, right. or on live, or on Zoom. Everybody's always on their phone. Yep. So, you know, for those who are watching, consider the texting because we're definitely going to jump into it and, and really see the possibilities. There. Yeah, I have some changes to make. I have work to do when I get back home. <laughs> I just want to jump in real quick. 
about two years ago, we um, we started um, text to give. Okay. So whenever we were going um, on television or we were putting it out there um, on social media for people to, to text, um, again, just finding easy, easy, accessible ways for people to not buy, but people to to support. Um, text to give for us was very strong in um, in, in receiving donations. Um, and then also when it came down to our events, um, being able to have a more seamless process when it came to check-in and when it came to auction items and even when it came to, came to raffle tickets um, and finding those companies um, that you know had that technology and there are a lot of companies out there um, and some depending on the price range you know you'd be able to to find different packages but um, for us technology is very important because people are always on their phones um, like we just said and you know whether they're you know texting to give or they're checking in or they they were making their registration process completely simple when they they sign up so when they come they don't really have to do anything because they're already in a, in a platform um, and when they want to buy a raffle ticket or when they want to buy that silent auction item all we already have all of their information so again just making it easier for people to be able to support um, and just making it as seamless as possible and then of course Instagram and, and Facebook um, and then sharing and you know obviously when there are events and making sure that we have special um, hashtags so that we're making sure that that is that is being picked up in the in the cyber world as well there is, so, to, to, just to add to that, there is a lot to work, of work to do when you're, when you're a business owner, when you're an entrepreneur. Everything that you're learning here today, you really have to take into consideration to understand that it is not a race, as I'm sure we have all heard. It is a marathon. Uh, I know there's a lot of... Uh, generations where you think it's a it's just a microwave thing and it can happen in 30 seconds and if you create an LLC or you create a business that you're gonna make you're gonna make a million dollars overnight I, you know that it's it's false so you really have to take all of this knowledge that you're receiving and understand that you have to put work in I am taking all these mental notes, I'm going to look at this recording because I have a lot of work to do when I get back. It, you know, it's, it's serious because you want to be as big as your vision um, and you have to put the work in. Opioma is so right. I think we all have a lot of work to do to implement these tips into our own lives. Thank you, Obioma, and all of our panelists today. This is the end of part one of Watch Her Win's webinar on entrepreneurship pros, cons, and everything in between. Be on the lookout for part two, where Obioma asks our panelists to tell us about what they've learned from their best and worst marketing experiences. We also get everyone to speak to us about the importance of networking outside of one's comfort zone. So I already know, you don't want to miss part two of Improper Mimi's live podcast recording of Watch Her Win New York's webinar. Be sure to follow each of the panelists highlighted in this episode. And as always, keep telling Black stories. Ciao!